Good morning. If you would, if you haven't already, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Psalms chapter 73. We're going to be working out of this passage a little bit this morning. As you turn there, I want to take a moment to say, as I do often, that how thankful I am to be here with each and every one of you. But how much of a privilege it is to come together to worship our God. I, I think sometimes we, we can become in danger of taking that for granted. And it certainly is a great privilege we have. Today is a wonderful day because of that. Now, as uh, some of you know, today is a day that is also special to me because I'm celebrating an anniversary today. Now, not an anniversary that you'd commonly probably remember, but in 2002 on this day, I went on a date with a lovely young lady who later decided to become my wife beyond my reasoning. I, I can't understand why. But I, I just, uh, on days like today, on days that we have come together to worship God, I can't help but just think of the amazing blessings that we have, the abundance, the things that make us so happy in our lives, that pick us up, that lift us up. We truly are blessed. So maybe that's why days like 9-11, when 2,996 people were killed in a terrorist attack, six to 8,000 more injured, or days like the Boston bombing, three people standing on the side of the road watching a, a, a tourist event, a race, lost their lives, 264 more injured, or in 2004, when a tsunami struck the Philippines and Indonesia and killed 230,000 people the day after Christmas. Or just a couple years ago, when a tornado in 2012 ripped through West Liberty, much of eastern Kentucky and West Virginia, killing 41 people. When we think of all the great things we have in our lives, and then something terrible happens question we often have is why? Why did this happen? I hope this morning to look at this question and maybe give us an idea on how we can work and how we can think about things and how we can deal when unexplained suffering comes our way. Because the fact is there are so many uncertainties in this life. Why do people senselessly kill one another? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there so much suffering in this life? <clears throat> in Psalm 73, that is essentially the question that is being asked by the psalmist here. This psalm is attributed to Asaph. And, and as we read through this, we're going to see some things about Asaph that I think we will be able to apply also to our lives. Starting just right in verse 1, we're going to read through this psalm. We read, Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. 
They speak loftily and set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so the Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. Something I want to notice from these passages first is, who it is that's speaking. This was a Jew. He was of Jewish blood. And he, like many today, he was looking around. And he saw the grass is greener on the other side. He saw things that he was envious of, but it was things that were the wicked were doing. He was envious of the things that they were rewarded with. And this was certainly more than just a, a, a fleeting whim. Uh, this was something he seemed to focus on, and he focused on it so much that spiritually, he says in, in verse 2 and 3, he says, I almost slipped, I almost stumbled. It's almost brought him down to even losing his faith. But he couldn't talk about it. He couldn't speak to this of anyone. He knew that he had to suffer these thoughts all by himself, because if he did speak out against it, he'd be speaking out against God. He would be guilty of blasphemy. If he did speak out against this and told his other people, they would be guilty. They would be in danger of making the same mistake he was making. So all alone, he suffers through this, thinking of how painful it is to think on these things by himself. That is, until he considers their end. And that's the turning point of Psalm 73. If you'll notice there in verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. This is the turning point of this psalm. And as I say, as I think, this should be the turning point of our lives as well. Sometimes we sing a song. A song, it's number 189 in your books. Uh, you don't have to turn there. You can just listen. I want to read the words of this song. It's, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. 
It says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were, I, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. <clears throat> this morning I hope to make some points to you that are going to help you when you are dealing with suffering. When you might feel all alone and maybe even frustrated or even angry. And the first point I want to make to you is going to sound like, it's going to sound like bad advice to tell someone who is suffering. And certainly it, it is in the moment. But it's something that we should be thinking of. It's something that we should understand. And that first point is it's not all about Today, that is certainly the attitude of our society. Get on social media, and you'll see it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, any of these social media things. It's all about me, and I want people to look at me. Turn on the TVs, and you'll see it. In our commercials, in our entertainment, they show it. They show us that human worth, human worth is directly proportionate to human accomplishment. What you do in your life, how your life is going, that dictates what you are worth. And we know that we are not to be self-centered, we're not to be egotistical, but pride and ego is certainly the trademark of our day. If anything probably shows us off to anything of the world, it's that trademark of how full of ourselves we often are in this world. But this song, this song reminds us that it's not about us. Verse 1. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. For everyone, but especially for the Christian, the focal point of our lives must revolve around Jesus Christ, must revolve around the cross. In fact, the, the center point of humanity revolves around the cross. And so I ask myself, how can I see myself as the big deal when I view myself through the blood of the cross? And what a tragic mistake we make when we lose sight of our priorities. And when I think of myself as something of great importance and forsake the cross. Now, it's possible that you might think at this point, well, I understand that. That makes sense. But how does that help me with dealing with suffering? Yes, I understand how important Jesus is. But I'm the one suffering here. I'm the one that's hurting right now. 
How does this relate to human suffering? I want to tell you how. But before I tell you how, I want you to understand that when people experience unexplained suffering, like these tragedies that I just mentioned, or even on a more local level, when a husband has to watch his wife taken from him and destroyed by cancer, or when a child has to watch their parents' minds deteriorate because of Alzheimer's, or a mother, or a mother who must bury a child, When these things happen, the natural expected reaction for people is to turn inward, to think about yourself, and ask the question, why is this happening to me? Why did I deserve this? And as I said, this is natural. This is what is expected. If We we can see that in the book of Job, that that's what what naturally happens. These thoughts, they often lead to bitterness. They lead to anger. Even towards God, it leads to fear, it leads to worry, it leads to to physical illness. When this happens, oftentimes people grieve like there is no hope beyond this life. But I want you to know this morning that there is another way in which you can react. It is possible to react differently. And that's why it is important to understand that it's not all about you. Not that it's entirely wrong to act that way. As I said, it is natural, but we must not leave it unchecked. Because if left unchecked, this reaction leads down a very, very painful path. As I said, we see this reaction in the book of Job. And God works to change this sort of attitude. But another way to react can be found throughout the Philippian letter. In these passages, we see someone who takes great sufferings And he turns them into joy. He turns these sufferings into optimism, into compassion for others. So I want to suggest this morning that maybe suffering comes to you so that you can show the power of the gospel. You don't have to react like the world reacts. You don't have to be wiped out or spend your time in deep depression and anxiety because you know there is a God who is in control. You know there's a God who made all things, who sustains all things, and works towards good for them that love Him. And you may not understand it. I don't understand it. None of us understand it, but we don't have to understand it because we know God and we know He is in control. So that's one thing that's always bothered me about the question, why would a loving God blank? Why would a loving God allow those terrorists to do this thing? Why would a loving God send a, a nation into another nation and have them destroy man, woman, and child? Why would a loving God do that? We hear people say, I, I know I would have never killed that man. I would have never destroyed that nation. I would have never discriminated against certain behaviors. That's not love. Love doesn't allow children to be murdered in a drive-by shooting. Love doesn't allow people to be robbed and to have phys- or natural disasters destroy things if it can control it. And that, that is simply a God I can't believe in. When people make statements like this, what they are doing is they are putting themselves on par with God morally, and in wisdom. 
I don't understand why things happen. But I know God is in control and I know God. At the heart of every Christian should be a trust that causes us to act differently. And when other people see that, they see that trust, they see your faith, don't think that they won't notice. Don't think that it won't cause them to question. Maybe just in their own heart, but maybe asking you personally, how did you remain so composed? How are you able to rise above this? Why are you not totally devastated by the circumstances in which you are under? How is it that you have taught your children to behave in this way? How is it that you continually help others while you are hurt so badly? How do you remain so hopeful? How do you do it? And when those questions come, the answer must always be Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and His Gospel. Turn over to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12... We read of a passage here where where Paul is petitioning God. He's petitioning God to remove something from his life. Something that he was suffering with. This this thorn in the flesh. Whatever that might have been. I, I don't know what it was, but I do know that it was painful. It was something that he struggled with. Something that was real. And three times it says he pleaded with God. God said no. He pleaded, God, take this away from me. God said, no. And Paul could have said, God, it's it's all about me. I'm the one that's suffering here. He could have said, loving God, (laughs) yeah, right, a loving God would take this away from me. A loving God wouldn't put me through this, this painful ordeal. But that's not the reaction Paul has. Notice in verse 7. He says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What God says there, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul understood that. When he was at his weakest point, then God's perfect power was made to shine the brightest through him. Our weakness is an opportunity to discover what real strength is. It's kind of like that that philosophical question, that question that just is asked usually in a college setting just to make people mad and argue. Can you ever truly be happy and having never experienced sadness? The question, they, the, the reason this question is brought up is the idea is if you don't have something to compare your happiness to, you will never know you are happy. When our weakness 
we come face to face with our infant or with our finite, corruptible existence and the eternal, perfect power of our amazing God. And so, as Christians, suffering gives us the opportunity to reflect that light. To reflect God in our weakness when we have been broken down, when we have had everything taken from us, possibly even left for dead, we have a chance to show to others the strength of Christ. We have a chance to show to others His power. Show to others His mercy. His forgiveness. His love. We can show others what a true faith in Christ Jesus looks like. So while many will turn their attention inward when suffering, Christ gives us the chance to turn our attention upward, to glorify Him. And that is what it's always all about. Now, as I've already mentioned before, the book of Job has a lot of information about suffering. And I don't think any sermon, any discussion on suffering would do without at least turning there and looking at Job a little bit. Job was a good man who suffered greatly. And we see him lose absolutely everything. We see him lose his children. He loses his wealth. He loses his own health eventually. We see him covered in painful, oozing boils. And even it says that his breath smelled terrible. And his friends come to see him, and they see him in this state, setting in ashes, scraping his skin with a pot shard. This man is suffering. And they are so, so in awe of the amount of suffering that they, they can't even speak. And they just sit there quietly. How awful Job must have looked. How awful he must have felt. So bad that even his own wife advises him, says, just go ahead and curse God and die. This is horrible what you're dealing with. Just curse God and get it over with. And when his friends start talking, what are they kind of, the kind of things they say? They say, this, this must have happened to you for a reason. You must have done something wrong. And he, he reminds them over and over again. He says, no, I really am a good man. And Job goes as far as to say, maybe it's something that God has done wrong. And we see that, that he, later, he later repents of this. But we see these extremely depressing conversations going on in the book of Job. But that is not the purpose of the book of Job. Job is not about why men suffer. It's not, that's not at all what this book was about. It's another conversation that describes what the book of Job about, is about. It's found in chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Here in this conversation between God and Satan, we see a question that, a question that is asked, and that's what the whole book of Job honestly revolves around. In verse 8 it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possession having, has increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. 
And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. The question that was being asked, the question that the book of Job revolves around, is not why do men suffer. The question was why was Job faithful to God? Why was he faithful? Satan thought he knew the answer. It's obvious, God. He's faithful because you've been good to him. You have blessed Job with ten children. You have given him livestock and wealth. And it even seems as if you're protecting him. You protect him on all sides. Satan's thought was Job. Job was a bribed believer. That's why Job believed, because God was so good to him. And if you quit bribing him, he will turn on you like that. He doesn't love you. He doesn't trust you. He doesn't put his faith in you. God says, we'll just see about that. We'll just find out about that. And what this story shows us is suffering exposes what we are really made of. When suffering comes upon us, it tests us at the very core of our being. It asks us, it should force us to ask ourselves, are we bribed believers? Do you come to services? Do you pray? Do you, you go home and read your Bible? Do you treat other people good? Because the sun is shining on you at this moment. Because you live in a country that makes it easier to be a Christian. Because you have a warm house and a loving family and everything seems to be going okay. This is why Satan believes you follow God. But God doesn't believe that. He believes that you love Him. God believes that you have come to know who He is and that you have built a relationship with Him that doesn't revolve around whether things are going well or not. It Rather, it gets stronger when things aren't going great. And I believe this is why God allows suffering to take place in our lives. It is not so He can prove the devil wrong. And it is certainly not some deviant form of entertainment for God. God allows us to suffer so that we can become stronger. So that we can draw nearer to Him. And so that we can bring others with us. He trusts that when suffering comes to you, or when suffering comes to me, that it will show a faith that had yet to be seen. And that it will produce a faith that will grow even stronger. So when suffering comes your way, I think we must realize, we must stop for a second and go, this is my story. That was Job's story. This is my story. And Satan doesn't think I can handle it. He is saying that he or she is not in it for you, God. <clears throat> he wants you to turn from God. He wants you to give up and to blame God and to die. But God allows it because He knows you can overcome. He knows you are in it and you know God's perfect will is in control. So maybe these things happen because it's meant to produce something in us. Look over in James. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. That's exactly what was being wrote here. My brother encountered all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
The testing of our faith produces things that we need to be of service to the Lord. It produces, it produces patience. It produces strength. It produces trust. I can remember a couple of years ago when some friends of mine were making decisions that I didn't agree with. And I was frustrated. I became so frustrated because I felt like they knew better. And I could have gotten mad and just wrote it off. Or I could have screamed and stomped my feet and said, you, you've got to change. You have to change right now. But ultimately, they would have just said, I don't really want to hang around with this guy anymore. I don't want to be around him. Or I could have been patient. I could have treated them with love. That was the lesson that I learned through that suffering. It was hard to see people that I loved doing something that I thought was wrong. And it taught me to have love and to have patience. But it was not just so I could deal with those friends. It was not just so I could deal with that moment. Because I had a much tougher situation coming up in the form of a beloved and looked up to family member that I was going to have to say something to. And I'm not sure if I would have handled it anywhere near the way I handled it if I hadn't first went through that first trial. If I hadn't first went through and been taught that lesson by God. I believe God is in control of our lives. And I believe that when we are willing to give up that control to Him, He will give us what we need for every situation. And again, we might not understand it. We might not understand the here and now. But when we stop and we look back on our lives, it is so amazing to me to see, oh yeah, God had a plan. And that was hard to go through those things. It was hard to deal with those problems. But it led me to where I am now. And I am stronger for having gone through it. That is nothing short of amazing to me. And that's why verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. It's not just for this life that we're being prepared. It's not just for the things that we're going to deal with in this life. Maybe God is preparing us for something better, for something that of a closer relationship than what we can have on this earth. Maybe God, even through our suffering, is preparing us for heaven. Teaching us to pray like we have never prayed before. Teaching us to dig into the scriptures day and night. Studying our Bibles like we've never prayed, studied our Bibles before. Maybe, maybe He is preparing us for something that is ahead. And the suffering we have today, which can cause us to look inward, is something that we can look at differently. Something that we should look at differently. The suffering we have today is something that we should trust God in. And that we should listen to him in. 1 Peter 1, verse 6 through 7 tells us it comes to us all. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to be to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray that when trials and when suffering comes upon us, that we raise our eyes upward, looking to God, the author and sustainer of creation, so that we might see how it is He is preparing us for service to the Lord. How it is He's preparing us for heaven. 
Romans 5, verses 3-4. through And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. We need these tribulations. We need sufferings because they make us the kind of people God wants us to be. In 2 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4, that goes a lot with the song that we sang right before the prayer, right after the prayer. Excuse me. We have a friend in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That's a friend. That's amazing. Those are beautiful, beautiful words ascribed to our God. But notice why He is described that way. In verse 4 it says, He comforts us in all of our tribulation." And it goes on to say that he does so, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Since he does this, he comforts us so that we can learn how to comfort others. We go through trials so that God can do this, so that he can teach us to be like this. Because the fact is, there might come a day when maybe you're the only one who knows what someone is going through. Because you have gone through it yourself. That's God's plan. That is His beautiful design. But still we ask this question. Why me? Why is this happening to me? I want to ask you finally, what if why is never good enough? What if why is never satisfactory? What if these reasons that I've given you, you just feel like maybe I've skated around the issue? I want you to think back to Job one last time. Did Job ever get his why? We got it. We understood it because we've read the book. Job was the protagonist of the book. He was the character. He lived it. Job never got his why. He never got to hear that. Will you keep serving God? Will you keep living faithfully for Him without knowing the why? Because I don't know when, I don't know what kind of suffering will come upon you, will come upon me, but I do know what God wants. And if you can never get the why, at least get God. We must know God. This morning, if you'd like to go ahead and take out your songbooks, in just a second we are going to sing number 196. 189, excuse me. We're going to sing number 189. When I survey the wondrous cross. And as we sing this song, Maybe you sit back and you think, what these words mean to you? Have I been viewing my life through Jesus Christ? Is He the focal point of my life? 
If you've not yet become a child of God, I'm going to say that you, you have not. But I hope you would consider to do so today. The fact is, the suffering that we have in this life, if we are not a saved child of God, is a suffering that, that, that we deal with and we truly don't have the hope. And we know that that suffering will just continue on into eternity. But maybe you have become a child of God. You have already done so. And like the psalmist, maybe you have dealt with something that has caused you to stumble. caused you to slip. If there is some way that you have fallen short of the glory of God, and maybe today you realize that you need God's forgiveness, we would love to help you out. We would love to lift you up and walk together. Even through the sufferings that we have in this life, walk together to help one another get to heaven. The only way we can do so is if we truly know what one another is going through. Right now we have an opportunity. We have the invitation. If there is some way in which we can help you, I encourage you to come forward now as we stand and as we sing.